spiritual things, powerful things. Amen. Oh, go ahead and those that are in the front can make your way back to your seats. As they're making their way back to the seats, we want to welcome each and every one of you to the house of the Lord today. We're so glad you're here. Amen. Several guests and visitors here today. We're, we're honored to have several from Urshan Bible College with us. Love and appreciate these young men and women of God who are giving their lives for the things of the Lord. Amen. But for them and for all of our guests that are here today, can we just give all of our guests a hand clap of appreciation? Realize the weather wasn't great today. I appreciate everyone who's made your way out to the house of the Lord. How many are already glad you pushed out to the house of the Lord today? Had to fight a little rain to get here, but I'm already glad I showed up to church today. Amen. With the Lord's help, and how many know we always need the Lord's help? Amen. I just, I feel to speak today, and I, I do feel the Lord has given me a word for this moment. I have a few things to say today. I want to try to get uh, through. I don't want to rush, but I also want to, uh, to speak what I feel the Lord would want to say to us in this house today. And uh, I feel to speak today on this subject, released and restored. Amen. 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 Why don't you just turn to somebody, two or three, just tell them, hey, God wants to release us today, and God wants to restore us today. How many believe he can do both? Come on, how many believe he has the power to do both, release us and restore us? How many would desire that to be in your life today? Oh, hallelujah. How many would have the faith to believe God's going to do that in your life today? In Jesus' name. Now, I'm just going to tell you before I have uh, those that are standing to be seated, you're going you're to have to think with me today, all right? I'm going to need your minds for a bit. We're going to tell a little bit of a, uh, go through a story in the scripture that is just such a fascinating, fascinating story. And I believe the Lord is going to speak to us. And, uh, but I need you to, to stay plugged in to what the word of the Lord would have to say today. Released and restored. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The scripture would inform us of the fact that a man by the name of Zedekiah was the king of Jerusalem, the king over all of the Israelite people for 11 years. His reign came to an end on that 11th year because the Babylonian army besieged Jerusalem, fought against and conquered Jerusalem and left the city and more importantly, the temple in ruins. Some of the inhabitants of Jerusalem died on that, in that particular battle, but the remainder of those that did not die were tied up and led back as prisoners to Babylon. They, they were there in Babylonian captivity. And it is during this time of Babylonian captivity that the prophet Isaiah would speak to and he would write about under the leading of the Holy Ghost. And where Isaiah picks up his pen to 
began to write concerning these 70 years of Babylonian captivity is where we will pick up our text and our story today. For Isaiah would say this, writing in his book, Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28. Thus saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Now this is the Lord speaking, okay? Uh, This is God speaking through Isaiah. This is the Lord speaking and the Lord saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And the Lord said, Cyrus is going to perform all of my pleasure even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. So here we find the Lord speaking through Isaiah concerning the fact that the leveled city of Jerusalem would once again be restored, and the destroyed temple would once again have its foundations relayed so as to be rebuilt Yet again, what was demolished, what was devastated, would once again rise from the ashes to be restored by the hand of the Lord. Why? Because the word of the Lord declared it to be so. Hallelujah. I need somebody to hear your pastor right now for as I read this story, I felt a spirit of prophecy come upon me. And for exactly for this moment and for today's message, and I don't know who this is for, but I feel so strong in the Holy Ghost to speak to someone that in spite of the destruction that may be around you, and in spite of that which you may have lost, and in spite of that which the enemy may have stolen from you, I feel strongly led of the Holy Ghost to tell you today that you're about to enter into a season of miraculous restoration. I don't say that to hype you up. I don't say it to get a few claps from you, but I say it because I felt strongly impressed of the Holy Ghost to tell somebody you're about to enter into a season of miraculous restoration. What has been stripped from you is going to be restored back to you. What has been torn down is going to be rebuilt yet again. What has been destroyed is going to be renewed. What has been decimated is going to be reestablished in your life. Can I get a witness in the house? I'm here to tell somebody, ministries are about to be renewed in this house. Relationships and marriages are about to be renewed in this house. Emotions and callings and purposes and strength is about to be renewed. Is there anybody that will agree with me right now in faith to believe I'm about to enter into a season of miraculous restoration? What the enemy stole from me uh, what I let the enemy take from me uh, with my mistakes and my failure I'm going to get it back Uh, it's going to be restored back to me come on somebody praise him if you believe what I'm preaching right now somebody praise him if you believe what I'm preaching right now come on I just need two or three 
I just need two or three to agree with this preacher right now. I'm getting it back. It's going to be restored back to me. Come on, praise him. Praise him for it. Praise him for it. Praise him in faith for it. Somebody said amen. Now, God bless you. You may be seated. Whoever's doing sound, I need some help up here. Monitors, please help me. Now, here's the thing that I need to confront in the room because I believe there's a lie from the devil that's whispering his insidious lies in somebody's mind even as I spoke what I just spoke. And even as some stood and clapped, there was a lie that was reverberating in your mind about the potential of you being restored. Maybe somebody else is going to get it, but I can't get it. Somebody else can be restored, but I can't be restored. Because in your mind and in your ability and in your experience, you can't see any way how this miraculous restoration could ever take place in your story. Come on, somebody. You've looked at every possibility within your sphere of understanding and within your sphere of ability and within your sphere of knowledge. And you just can't see any plausible avenue that could ever usher you into this place of divine restoration. The one or two possibilities that you once had for how God could do it, he didn't do it like you thought he should do it. Come on, somebody. God, I had it all worked out for you. I knew exactly. I, I, I looked at all of the parameters in which I live and, and I saw you could do it this way and you can do it this way. And so God, that's what I began to believe for. And then you didn't do it that way. And because he didn't do it that in the parameters of which you are confined to, then you have now began to doubt that he can do it at all. Therefore, it is important to that person that I show you from the text that we just read, that this man by the name of Cyrus, somebody say Cyrus, was the individual that God was going to use to bring about miraculous restoration. But what you have to know is that Cyrus was not a prophet. Cyrus was not a preacher. Cyrus was not a leader of God's people. Cyrus was not even an Israelite. He was not even a Jew. He was in fact the king over the Medes and the Persians. He was not what we would have considered to be a worshiper of Jehovah at all. Therefore, the person, those Israelites would have thought to be the catalyst to usher in their redemption and restoration, it, they would have never 
chosen Cyrus. Come on, somebody. Cyrus would not have ever even entered their mind as a particular catalyst to bring about restoration. (laughs) If you would have given those Israelites 20 years to come up with a plan for what restoration and deliverance was going to look like, they never would have considered the king of the Medes and the Persians as the one God would use to bring about their deliverance. I need to show someone that God is not bound to work his work merely within the parameters of how we think he can and how we think he should work. Somebody said amen. You have to understand something about God. God is the creator of everything. Therefore, everything is his creation. And since everything is his creation, then everything serves his purpose. Everything that is serves the purpose and the plan of God so that he can fulfill his master plan. Therefore, my dear brother or sister or saint or guest or visitor today, do not be discouraged because you don't see any way out. Because God can use anything. He can use any person. He can use everything at his disposal for his greater purpose in order to fill his plan. You just had one or two possibilities for how you thought God can do it. But you got to understand that with God, there is an infinite amount There is an infinite amount of possibilities that he can use in order to bring about his divine purpose of restoration in your life. Come on, somebody praise him. Therefore, I feel so strong in the Holy Ghost that somebody's about to enter into a season of restoration and it's not going to come about. It's not going to come about because of any method or any mean or any strategy that you could have previously imagined, but it's going to come about because of something that you would never have expected. Because he's not bound to work like we think he should work. And he's not bound by the parameters. He fills all space. He fills all time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has all power in his hands. There is no boundaries on him. There is The heavens are the Lord's. And the earth is his footstool. There is no boundaries that can find the Holy One of Israel. Come on, somebody praise him. Come on, don't shut the door on what God is doing. Just because you don't think it might not be God. Just because it's working in a way you didn't think it was going to work. Don't shut the door on it. 
It just might be God working a work in a form and a fashion that you cannot even imagine. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Give him praise. Somebody said amen. Woo. Let me just give a quick point of clarification of what's taking place in these last few moments. Because some of you may be wondering. It's normal here, but I understand it might not be normal to everybody. You see a bunch of people coming up and giving money. They're not giving me money because I'm preaching good. <clears throat> this isn't for me. I, saw, I told you at the beginning of the service, the Spirit of the Lord leads and guides and directs, and he leads us into all manner. And what these people are feeling is they're feeling the Spirit of the Lord leading them to give sacrificially. And so they're just coming up and giving what they feel the Lord has told them to give. That's what they're doing. It's not out of line. It's not out of order. It is the Spirit of the Lord leading them. Somebody said amen. And so here we have, back to our message, now we have this prophetic promise from the Lord that Jerusalem was going to be restored. Come on, Jesus. And yet all of the Israelites who were going to help restore Jerusalem and to help repopulate and rebuild Jerusalem were still in Babylonian captivity. Right? Sorry, sound guy, I need some more. Help me. So this is where Cyrus begins to help fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. For he makes a decree for his army to attack and conquer Babylon. Now what you have to understand was he was not attacking and conquering Babylon to free God's people. He, was, he wasn't even a part of any of it. He was conquering as much land as he could possibly conquer so that he could control as much and vast of lands as he possibly could as the king. But how many know again what Cyrus thought he was doing and what God wanted Cyrus to do was two different things. Cyrus didn't say, hey, we need to go release the people of Israel from Babylonian captivity. Cyrus was like, Babylon is rich and wealthy and I want to conquer them so I can get all their wealth and all their riches and all their lands. And God said, Cyrus, I'll let you believe whatever you want to believe, but you're still doing what I want you to do. See that, isn't that awesome? God just uses it. He'll let them believe whatever they want to believe. But God ultimately said, you're fulfilling my purpose whether you know what you're doing or not. I don't have to tell you what I'm doing. I just make you do what I want you to do. And you do it because I want you to do it. Case in point, the devil thought it was his idea for Calvary. The Bible says if the devil knew what Calvary was going to produce, he never would have crucified the Savior. The devil thought, this is my idea. I'm crucifying Jesus. And the Lord's like, you believe whatever you want to believe, but you're fulfilling my purpose. He can even use the devil to fulfill his purpose. Somebody said amen. So here we have Cyrus. And he begins to fulfill the plan and the purpose. 
He makes this decree for his army. Stay with me now for his army to attack Babylon. And what we have to know about the main city of now, Babylon was huge. It, 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 it took up uh, what we would, parts of Syria, I think it was Iran, on and on current day, modern day. So it was massive. But there was the main city of Babylon that was uh, the headquarters city. It was the main city that when that city fell, everything else fell with it. Are you with me? And what we have to know about that main city of Babylon, now this is where I need your minds. You got to think with me a little bit. That main city, it was so vast, it was so big, that it was, it, it was built up on both sides of the Euphrates River. This Euphrates River went through there and Babylon built and built and built and got crossed over to the other side and built and expanded. And it was this massive city with this river running right through the middle of it. The walls that encompassed this main city of Babylon were absolutely massive. They were rich. They had all the money, power at their disposal. They built these walls that were just massive thick, massive high, impenetrable walls to any adversary or enemy that would come against them. But like I said, there was a river called the Euphrates that ran through the middle of this great walled city. And since they could not put a wall over the river, they built these two massive iron gates that they could open, allow ships to come through, bring in goods, and take out things that they were shipping out to different countries and different nations. But more importantly, these gates were installed in order to protect the city from any opposing force that would come against it. We have the walls but there's this gap where the river is that we have to control and we have to defend. And so we're going to build these massive iron gates that will keep people, ships, armies out from that particular area of our city. And now we are completely impenetrable between the gates and the walls. Nobody can get through. So how was it that Cyrus defeated Babylon in order to release the Israelites from captivity. Isaiah tells us when he writes this in the next chapter, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 1, thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings, ready, to open before him the two-leaved gates. And the gates shall not be shut. Now stay with me, stay with me now. In the British Museum in London, even today, there is on display the famous uh, this artifact called the Cyrus Cylinder, which describes how Cyrus defeated Babylon. 
It was a, it's a clay cylinder, and it was, they, they got it you know, wet, and, and the clay was moldable, and they wrote in there the history and the story at the time that it happened of how Cyrus defeated Babylon. The Bible doesn't tell us how. It just tells us that it was defeated. But this, this cylinder gives us a little insight, historical insight, on how it was defeated. For it says that Cyrus... Had it. Now stay with me now. Cyrus had his armies dig trenches upstream from Babylon. He had them dig trenches. I believe it was 150 or 180 trenches on one side of the river and the same amount on the other side of the river. And those trenches, the purpose of those trenches was to divert the water flow from the Euphrates River. Are you with me? So it was that eventually as they continued to dig more and more and more trenches, the Euphrates River began to flow less and less and less in its main channel because it was being diverted out to the side. Eventually, it gradually went down as it ran through the Babylonian city which offered now a thoroughfare where the armies could march on this dried up riverbed in order to have access into the city. The problem, Sister Fable, is this. If the gates are still closed, if the gates are still locked, they still don't have access to the city. They have an avenue, they have a thoroughfare, they have a potential, but if the gates are still locked, nothing happens. But as I just read to you, the word of the Lord said, those gates, they're going to be open. Now, when I saw that, I shouted. And the gates were open. But here's what I need you to know. And maybe this is the part I shouted at. Here's what I need you to know. Isaiah was not writing about this after it happened. This is where I shouted. I remember now. He was writing prophetically. As he was moved on by the Holy Ghost. And so I wanted to figure out, well, how far in, how far in advance did Isaiah write about the fact that these gates were going to be open? And so I started studying it out a little bit and I found out that Isaiah 45 was written 200 years before this ever took place. In fact, hear me in the Holy Ghost. Isaiah wrote about Cyrus and about those gates before Cyrus was even born and before the gates had ever even been built. (laughs) 
Hear me now. The Lord, I hear the the Holy Ghost telling somebody, the Lord has already established for those necessary doors to be opened some 200 years prior to the very night that they needed to be opened. Come on, I'm here to tell somebody, when God works, he doesn't work from now to then. He works from then back to now. He, God already knew what his plan was. God already knew what his purpose was. Before there was ever a Cyrus, before there were ever gates, God said, I'm gonna cause those gates to be open." And he said, Isaiah 45, and the gates shall not be shut. I know we're talking about something that's going to happen 200 years from now, but take assurance of the fact that those gates, which haven't even been built yet, are not going to be shut. They will be open when you need them to be open. Every night of the year, since those gates were created, they had been shut, they had been locked, and they had been secured. But on the very night that they needed to be open, God's word came to pass, and it didn't allow anything or anybody to shut the doors. Because when the word of the Lord declares something to be, it has to be. Somebody said amen. Somebody's like, well, that's kind of cool for Cyrus, but what does it have to do with me? I need somebody to get some faith today in the fact that if God can speak doors being opened some 200 years before they needed to be opened, then please stop questioning God's ability to open the necessary doors that you need opened in your life. Put faith in the fact that he's the same yesterday and today. If he opened the doors then, he can open the doors now. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Give him praise. Maybe seated. I'm trying to build somebody's faith in the ability of God today. Now think about this. God's people were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Isaiah, my math is right, Isaiah wrote this prophetic utterance 200 years prior to them entering into Babylonian captivity. So, 130 years before they ever even knew they were going to need deliverance, God already established their deliverance. To those who may be doubting God's abilities and God's plan and God's power, just know 
that what you are questioning, God has already established the answer long before you ever knew you were going to get into that mess in the first place. Am I making any sense right now? You're wondering, does God even know where I am? Does God have a plan? Does God have a purpose? And what I'm trying to show you and explain to you from the word of the Lord is this. Before you ever got into the problem, God already had a way of escape for you before you ever even knew you needed one. Your issue has not taken God off guard. Your problem has not blindsided the Lord. Your need has not baffled and confused the Lord of all creation. No, before you were ever even in the problem, God already established for there to be a way out of no way. Come on, somebody lift your hands and praise him for that right now. I'm here to tell somebody he's already opened the door. Before you stepped into the darkness, he already opened the door. Before you ever started into the mess in the first place, he already made a way of escape. Before you ever got into the problem, the need, the struggle, my God knew what you were going to face. And he didn't just know it ahead of time, but he knew the way out of it ahead of time. Somebody said amen. Now, you may be seated. Now, I'm going quick. Ah, but this story is just too cool. What we need to know and understand about Isaiah was that he was not the only prophet that would prophesy concerning the destruction of Babylon. He was not the only prophet that would prophesy. You got to understand, Isaiah was 200 years prior to it happening. So there was other prophets that came along the scene later, a little bit closer to time. For again, Isaiah wrote 200 years, but later coming on the scene was the prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and he wrote these words six years prior to Jerusalem ever being destroyed and the children of God being taken into Babylonian captivity. Are you with me? Six years prior to it all happening, Jeremiah would write these words. Jeremiah 51 and 60. So Jeremiah wrote in a book, all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when thou comest to Babylon, and thou shalt see, and thou shalt read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Lord, Thou hast spoken against this place, against Babylon, to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it should be desolate forever. And it shall be, when thou hast made an end of the reading of this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of of the Euphrates River. And thou shalt say, thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. And they shall be weary 
thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Now let me explain quickly what this is referring. At the time of Jeremiah's writing, Babylon, understand, was at its peak strength. The massive walls were standing. The massive buildings, temples, cities, structures, economy. The temples were to false gods. Economy, livelihoods were strong. They were secure. And they were growing ever larger. Babylon was increasing. For Babylon was one of the most powerful nations in the then known world. And yet the word of the Lord spoke against it. The word of the Lord said it would be cut off. The word of the Lord said that none of it should remain. Stay with me now. The word of the Lord said that it would be desolate forever. So Jeremiah writes this prophecy down. And it was not him, it was the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. And it's written in holy writ. It's the words of God himself. He writes this prophetic utterance down that came from the Lord. In order that he could eventually speak it to the Israelites who were going to fall into captivity some six, seven years later. And he wanted to write this down for that moment, the Lord speaking to him of what was going to transpire so that in their captivity, they would know, hey, Jeremiah wrote about the destruction of those holding us captive. Seven, six, seven, eight years before we were ever taken into captivity so that they would know this is not the words of Jeremiah just trying to encourage us. This is the word of the Lord because nobody else would have known that this was going to happen except God and him alone. Are you with me? So it is that Jeremiah writes down this prophetic utterance of everything that's going to happen. And when the time came and the children of Israel are in bondage, Jeremiah gets that word. It was a scroll. The the word of the Lord was written in a scroll. And he gets that scroll. And he calls for a a man by the name of Sarai. And I can explain all that, but it's it's neat, but it doesn't pertain to the story. And so he gets this man by the name of Sarai who was going to be traveling on business to go to Babylon. Sariah was one of God's people. And he said, here's the scroll. You're going to go to Babylon. And that is where all of the children of Israel are being held captive. Take the scroll. When you get there, open the scroll and read them the prophetic utterance of what is going to happen to Babylon. Are you with me? (sighs) The first thing I want to show you from this part of the story is that the prophetic word that went forth was not just about their deliverance, but it was more so about the complete destruction of that which had them bound in the first place. He didn't just say, hey, I just want you to know, we're going to come in there under the the, the guise of darkness and we're going to dig a little hole and we're going to get all you guys out of there and we're going to run and, but you're going to be free. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say much at all about their deliverance. He talked about the fact that there would be complete destruction over the thing that had them bound in the first place. Now listen, I need you to stay with me and I need you to preach with me. I truly believe the Spirit of the Lord is going to move in such a way today as to bring somebody out 
of whatever bondage you might currently be going through. But more importantly, I want you to know that it is God's purpose and it is God's plan to not just bring you out of what had you bound, but it is his purpose to destroy the very thing that has had you bound for so long. Come on, it's not about just you being delivered, but it's about God destroying the thing so that you don't have to go back to it again and so that it no longer has a pull on you and it no longer has a voice and it no longer has the ability like it once had. I believe he's going to deliver you and I believe he's going to completely destroy the thing that has had you bound. I hear the word of the Lord. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Come on, is there anybody that will agree with me right now that this is going to happen in this place? You're not just going to be freed from the addiction. God's going to destroy the addiction once and for all in your life. All right, I felt a little doubt on that one. I said, you're not just going to be freed from the addiction, but I believe you're going to, the addiction and the thing that has held you captive and addicted for so long is going to be destroyed off of you. Come on, if, if you're somebody in the house that's addicted today, I think you ought to be exemplifying a little faith with what the preacher's preaching about. I got to move on. But what Jeremiah, everybody good? Everybody with me? What Jeremiah tells Sariah to do with God's word once it is read. He said, I want you to go and I want you to read the word and it's going to bring faith. It's going to bring confidence to God's people. That God's going to bring about the destruction of the cap captives or those that are holding them captive. But he said, after you read it, it's a very odd request. He said, after you read it, he said, I want you to go back to the river Euphrates. <laughs> and I want you to get that scroll. And I want you to tie a rock, a stone, heavy, as big as you can, onto that word. <laughs> and I want you to cast it as close to the middle, he says, the middle, the midst of the Euphrates River that runs through Babylon. Now, please keep in mind, God spoke these words to Jeremiah some 76 years before Cyrus would ever defeat Babylon. It was six years before they were taken into captivity, 70 years in captivity. So God spoke to Jeremiah what he was supposed to do and reading the word and tying the stone, Sariah to tie the stone and throw it into the middle. He wrote that 76 years before Cyrus ever defeated Babylon. Therefore, Jeremiah 
had no understanding of the method that Cyrus was going to use in order to defeat Babylon. Jeremiah didn't know anything about the digging of trenches. Jeremiah didn't know anything about a dried up, wait for it, Euphrates River that would become the thoroughfare or the avenue that the army would use in order to accomplish the purpose and the plan and the will of God. Jeremiah didn't know anything about it. Jeremiah didn't know anything about the gates being opened on the river to allow access through. And yet what Jeremiah felt led of the Holy Ghost to speak was for that scroll that was the word of the Lord. He said, once you read it, I want you to tie a stone to it and I want you to cast it into the Euphrates River. I believe the purpose of this was twofold. One, as the scripture says, it was meant to represent the fact that just as that word would never rise to the surface because of that stone being attached to it, so also would Babylon never rise back to its place of former glory because just as that word was down and out and permanently low, so also would Babylon be forever destroyed. But I also see another principle at work. For what I see is that it was the exact spot where the word of the Lord was planted. It was the exact spot where the word of the Lord was established. It was the exact spot where that stone fortified that word in the midst of that Euphrates River that then became the pathway of deliverance and the pathway of restoration for God's people. Where the word of the Lord was firmly fixed on that riverbed was the exact spot that God opened up for Cyrus to walk through in order to bring about God's plan and God's purpose. I need to tell you this, in whatever place the word of the Lord is fixed in your life, whatever place the word of the Lord is secured in your life will also be the exact place where the doorway of deliverance, the doorway of blessing, the doorway of restoration is going to be opened unto you. Lift your hands. Come on, somebody, lift your hands if you believe what I'm preaching right now. Come on, if you need deliverance in some area of your life, if you need restoration in some area of your life, you need to find out what the word of the Lord has to say about that particular area of your life and you need to get that word secure. You need to get that word steadfast, unmovable in that area of your life because wherever the word of the Lord is firmly planted, doors, 
avenues of blessing, avenues of restoration. Come on, somebody lift your hands right now. Listen to me in the Holy Ghost, and I promise I'm not beating anybody up. I'm not mad. I'm just trying to encourage somebody. In my 20-plus years of pastoral ministry, I have seen multiple people that come to me, and they're like, hey, I want to be delivered from this. I need help in this. I, want, I need restored in this. This is a problem. This is a problem. I'm like, okay, here's what the word of the Lord says. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Here's what the word of the Lord says. But then they don't want to do what the word of the Lord says. They don't want to do it. They don't want to be obedient to the word of the Lord. They don't want to be obedient to what the, what the scripture would have to say. And so what happens is they just keep staying in a protect, perpetual problem and a perpetual need and in a perpetual struggle. It has nothing to do with the fact of who they are and it has nothing to do with the devil being some big powerful being in their life. It has everything to do with the fact that they are not securing firmly the word of the Lord in that particular area of their life. Because the moment you secure the word of the Lord in that area is the moment gates open. That's the moment restoration and deliverance begins to happen. Can I get a witness in the house? Come on, stand to your feet. Lift your hands. Lift your hands.